0: Thank you, gentlemen, and it's good to be with you in chapel, although these are, as we've already heard, some strange days. Romans this morning, the fourth chapter, and I uh, had this message fairly well set in my thinking uh, prior to all of these uh, strange goings on, and so uh, how fitting they will be. Uh, it's a two-part message, today and tomorrow, and you get the first part, the girls get the second part, you can compare notes and get the whole thing. All right. There are some flyers in the back. Timeless truths for truthless times is a motto that I've used in our publication, The Trumpet of Truth, uh, which I started publishing in 1995 and have just recently, as uh, Pastor Van Gelderen said, uh, gone into itinerant ministry. If you know a pastor uh, that you think would benefit from our ministry, I'd encourage you to take one of these and send it to him uh, to introduce us a little bit. Now, if you don't like what you hear, don't take one, okay? But if you do, uh, feel free to uh, help us in word of mouth and getting the word out. I have books that I've written. They are on the back table. And if you would like to stop afterward, um, the uh, I can discuss price with you there. Romans chapter 4 this morning. And in the life of Abraham, uh, we find that Abraham displayed weak faith at times. We know that... Uh, Perhaps the the situation that stands out the most about Abraham in the weakness of faith would have been the situation where he and Sarah decided that because they couldn't have a son, uh, that they should solve that problem themselves by his going into Hagar. And a separate message altogether, but there was another couple in the Bible who had the same problem, Elkanah and Hannah. Uh, Abraham and Sarah solved it their own way and got an Ishmael. Elkanah and Hannah solved it God's way and got a Samuel. And when you solve things God's way, you end up with the Samuels. And when you solve things your own way, you end up with Ishmael's. And uh, so uh, just a separate message altogether, but we could see in that story, the weakness of Abraham's faith. But if we pick up the reading in the fourth chapter of Romans, verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, and I I think, again, this is a, a commentary on Abraham's weak faith at that time that I've already mentioned, and being not weak in faith, He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. And if you read Genesis 17, he was about a hundred when he was 90 years old and nine. So he was about a hundred. Neither yet, the Bible says, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but now notice this, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for these odd and strange and even frightening and unsettling circumstances that have befallen our nation. We know uh, that thou hast used in the past uh, the sword and the famine and the pestilence to speak to nations. And so thou art speaking to our nation today. And I pray that we as thy people would find uh, the right places and opportunities and the right people and, and opportunities to speak the word of truth, the words of the gospel and the words of comfort, and that we would be men of faith. We would be men not weak in faith, but strong in faith. And I pray that your blessing would be upon the word of God today and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Abraham, the Bible says, was not weak in faith in this particular situation, but was strong in faith. And I want to preach on the concept or subject of strong faith. And notice what strong faith does. If you look at verse 20, he was strong in faith, giving Glory to God. Weakness of faith does not bring glory to God. It gave no glory to God for Abraham and Sarah to sit down and say, Well, you know, we can't work this out any other way, so let's just let's just do this thing with Hagar, that didn't bring any glory to God. And Ishmael did not have to be a wild man. He, did not, he was not uh, predestined to be a wicked man. He chose that. Uh, God said to his mother, Hagar, he will be a wild man He didn't say he has to be, or he's going to be forced to be, but he will be. God knows the future, and his hand was against every man, and every man's hand was against him, and you cannot find anything in the life of Ishmael that brings glory to God. (coughs) Fourteen years later, God speaks to Abraham again on this subject. This time, he was strong in faith. Strong faith gives glory to God. When you and I exhibit strong faith, when you and I practice strong faith, when you and I employ strong faith, God gets the glory. The church where we are members does not get the glory. The pastor uh, where we attend church does not get the glory. Your bus captain, your Sunday school teacher, the husband, the wife, the children, no, no human gets the glory. When you and I exhibit strong faith, God gets the glory. I want to talk on strong faith this morning, three points this morning, and three points tomorrow morning. Number one, strong faith believes God for the impossible. Notice verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Abraham, up to that point, had never been the father of even one person. Now he's 99 years old. How is he going to be the father of many nations if he cannot father even one child? How interesting this is that outside of Ishmael, he had nobody else that he could call a descendant at this point, so he could not be the father of many nations. He was simply the father of Ishmael, who was now 13, 14 years of age, and who would be a wild man and would bring no glory to God whatsoever. How could he be the father of many nations? It was impossible. But notice the rest of the verse. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth what group of people? The dead. dead. I have lived long enough and I have pastored long enough to perform enough funerals to realize that there are times that I walk into the funeral home or times when the funeral was at our church, I've walked in the church and I've started down that center aisle and I've known that in that casket lies the remains of someone dear, someone precious, someone I loved, someone I knew, someone with whom I fellowshiped and as I got closer and closer it's like I don't want this to be. There is no time in your life or mine when we feel any weaker than when we are in the face of death. Prior to those casket scenes, my wife and I have sat with families in our church, family members, friends, different ones that were standing or sitting at the bedside of a departing loved one. You don't want it to be, but you're powerless. It's impossible. There is no man that can, that can get discharged in that war, uh, Solomon said in, in, in very picturesque language in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the bottom line is this, that strong faith believes God for the impossible, and God is the God of the impossible. He can raise the dead. That's an amazing thing. In fact, if you study John's gospel, you're going to find out that Jesus came to do the will of his Father. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and this is his will, he said later on, that I should basically save those that come to God and raise them up again at the last day. Do you realize that if the Lord does not come in your lifetime or mine, all of us are going to end up in a casket someday. And there will be people, we hope, standing around, sorry that we're gone. I have a funeral director friend in town. He said, you know, he said, it doesn't matter how famous you are. The size of your funeral generally depends on the weather. (laughs) I have found that to be true in most cases. Although the largest funeral I ever did was on one of the most bitter cold days in my memory. But anyway... That aside, God can raise the dead. When you and I are exhibiting strong faith, we're looking at a God who can do something absolutely impossible. Not only can he raise the dead, but look, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. In other words, this is the God who said, There's no light around. Okay, light! <laughs> now there's light around. God can call those things which be not as though they were. So not only can he raise the dead, he can create something out of nothing. It's like the fellow who was arguing with God about creation, and he said, well, I think I can do as well as you can. And God said, well, go ahead, create a man. And so he starts gathering up dust, and the Lord said, no, 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 no. Make your own dust. You see, God started with nothing. Everything we do starts with something that God spoke out of nothing. And when you and I are living this life of faith, we walk how? By faith, not by sight. anything you and I do that is by sight is at best weak faith. It's at best weak faith. But when we go beyond sight and when we realize this is not possible, I, I want to say something about the concept of miracles. You know, with all of the social media and with all of the, uh, the different, uh, uh, different ways that we're in contact with each other, there's a whole lot of stuff that gets circulated in social media that can be very encouraging and thank God for any way that God can use any medium. But you realize how the word miracle has just become kind of a mainstream word. Everything's a miracle today. In the Bible, the word miracle is reserved for something that God does that is outside the realm of natural creation law. Think about that. If we look at God as the originator of all, and he is, then literally everything is a miracle. But in the Bible, God sets this creation into motion, and miracles are those things that defy natural creation law, such as water piling up so that the people of Israel could cross the Jordan River on dry land. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to pile water. (laughs) It defies natural law. You cannot do it. Water seeks its own level. It doesn't pile up, but God can pile it up. And that is a miracle. And there are miracles that take place in our lives that defy the natural law that God has put into practice in his original creation. Raising the dead defies natural law. Calling those things which be not as though they were creating defies natural law. Reproduction is part of natural scientific creation law. But creating something out of nothing defies natural law. And so I want you to understand, strong faith believes God for what's Impossible, not merely what is naturally possible. Number two, strong faith focuses then on God's ability, not man's inability. If we're going to look at the God of the impossible, then we we must flip that coin over and realize how utterly helpless we are as men. We Americans have a lot of towers of Babel in which we are trusting. Some of them have probably started to topple over the last few days. And more of them may topple if this continues to be a problem within our culture, this this new virus. But I, I want you to understand something. We've come to trust Things other than God. And they are the things of our own making. They are the, the comfort zones that we, have, that we have erected. They are the little, uh, whether they be physical or not, and most of them aren't, they are, they are ideological. They are, they are conceptual towers of Babel that we have in our, in our culture where we think, well, everything is okay because I can Google this. But you know, you, can't, you, you cannot Google the cure for the coronavirus. We cannot Google that everything will just settle down and be like it always was. We do not have the ability. Man is phenomenally weak and helpless. And the sooner... I say this, I say this respectfully, you are young men. and the reason you're young is you weren't born soon enough to be old.. And I do not judge men who are 18, 19, 20 uh, with the same, uh, the same judgment that I would that a man who's been saved for 50 years. But I want you to understand, the sooner you, Lay hold of your innate weakness. Inherent helplessness. The sooner you lay hold of that, the sooner you will start into the realm of strong faith. Strong faith focuses on what God can do. In Hebrews 4, 18 through 21, notice Abraham was no longer looking at his own body, now dead. That wasn't even in the picture. He wasn't looking any longer at the deadness of Sarah's womb. That wasn't even in his thinking anymore. You know why? Because he wasn't thinking about his inability. He was thinking about God's ability. And that is strong faith. When we stop thinking about what I can do and we realize what I can't do but what he can do. You realize that that the children of Israel tempted God in the wilderness, and here's how they tempted Him. They asked a question when they should have had an exclamation. Their question was, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The exclamation is, God can. I will not argue for His theology, but I heard uh, 40 years ago, S.M. Lockridge preach His Phenomenal message, God can. And that was his text. Can God? God can. We learn to walk in strong faith. We attain to strong faith. We, we stop being weak in faith when we don't consider ourselves, when we do not consider the resources of man, when we don't consider the abilities that we have, when we're not looking at our training. Training is good, but it isn't what does miracles. Training is, is phenomenally important in your life, and and don't, Don't ever discard it and don't ever stop learning and don't ever stop growing, but understand that it's not your training that wins souls and it's not your training that repairs marriages and it's not your training that that gets a good message across and it's not your ability and it's not mine. It's God's ability that is beyond us. How do you get through to a sinner? Learn a better argument? Get another Bible verse to show him he's wrong? How do you get through to a sinner? How does that happen? You know what happens with other sinners the same way it happened with you. The Spirit of God came and reproved you of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Who does that? The Spirit of God. And God can raise us who were dead, and quicken us who were dead in trespasses and sins, and that is a miracle, and it goes from there. Strong faith focuses upon God's ability. In the book of Hebrews, a parallel chapter on this subject, we see in verses 11 and 12, a restatement, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful, who had promised. You see, this is not just for men. This is for women. This is not a gender issue. Strong faith is not limited to the male gender. Do you realize that Sarah's faith was weak when Abraham's faith was weak? And Sarah's faith became strong when Abraham's faith became strong. It's important that we see this. It depends on God's ability. And in verse 12 of Hebrews 11, therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand, which is by the seashore innumerable. And then we see Abraham becoming the father of many nations, an impossibility. So number one, strong faith. Strong faith that brings glory to God. Strong faith in your life and mine where God gets the glory, where the glory is not shared on earth as he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We find from, from the book of Jeremiah, we find it repeated in the book of 1 Corinthians. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Strong faith that brings glory to God focuses on a God who can do the impossible. Number two, strong faith that brings glory to God focuses on God's ability to do things and just simply abandons the idea of what we can't do. It's just like, it's not up to me. I, it's not about me. It's about him. I think of the story of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah has become, over the last number of years, my favorite prophet to read. You say, this weeping prophet, this man who cried all the time, he's your favorite prophet? Yes, he is. For many reasons that I don't have time to explain. In chapter 32, the city is surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar's army. The people in the city are starving. There's a famine Everybody is dying. There are pest, there's pestilence in the city and there's war outside the city, and, and things do not look good. And, and, and Jeremiah's in prison himself. And God says, You know, Hanumiel, your uncle's son, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that's in Anathoth. Buy my field. And Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord God, thou hast created the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thy stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. But do you realize what's going on down here? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar has us surrounded and people are dying and, and all these prophecies that you've given me to preach and it doesn't look good down here and you're telling me to go buy a field? Why would I buy a field? But Hanamiel, his uncle's son, did come to him. And so he knew it was of the Lord, so he bought the field. And then God comes back and turns Jeremiah's statement into a question. He said, behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You just said there is nothing too hard for me, and then you've told me all the reasons you don't see how this can ever work. And then God tells his prophet, this is how it's going to work. It is going to work. And you know what? When the city was overrun, Jeremiah had a place to live. Because he had bought a field. How interesting. How phenomenal that when everything looks absolutely hopeless, If we look at ourselves, we might quit. But if we look at God, we will continue on. And what happens will bring glory to God because it overlooks our inability and focuses on his ability. Number three, strong faith obeys God when the pathway is unknown. Faith is called faith because it is not sight. Notice in 2 Corinthians, where Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, one mutually excludes the other. If I'm walking by sight, it's not faith. Okay, these eyes are not the best eyes in the world. I've worn glasses since I was two, and I don't have very good vision. However... When I come down off the platform, I can see the stairs and I can see the floor and I can make my way back and I can greet you and see your faces and so on. And all of that is by sight. What if I lose my sight and become blind? Then everywhere I go is by faith. Because I can't see anymore. Do you realize that strong faith obeys God? when the pathway is unknown. We go from Romans 4 to Hebrews 11. In fact, you may have already turned there because I cited those verses, but look at verse 8 of Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Look at that. He didn't know where he was going, he just went. Strong faith obeys God when the pathway is unknown. Now, we can look at what's going on in the United States today and we can think, what's going to happen tomorrow? I sort of look at this like graduation day. Okay, if you're a freshman, then okay, God's will is next year I'll be a sophomore. If you're a sophomore, okay, God's will is next year I'll be a junior. If you're a junior, okay, God's will is next year I'll be a senior. But when you graduate, what's God's will? Now what do we do? You see what I'm saying? We come to those moments in life where the pathway isn't so well known or perhaps not known at all and those are crisis moments for every child of god i have a preacher friend who's written a book about the crises of life and if you study people it's not so much the midlife crisis but it is the various crises of life where okay We're done with this, now what? And it is in those moments of life that some people fail God most miserably. When your children are 10, you know what God's will is? Keep them alive till they're 11. (laughs) But what happens when the youngest one leaves the nest? You know what happens to parents? They enter a crisis. It's called the empty nest syndrome. I've already experienced that. It lasted for five minutes. (laughs) It lasted much longer than that for my wife. I think it was 10 minutes. No. No, I'm, I'm joking. It did last a while. And the day came when I said, you know what, honey? We've earned this. Let's enjoy it. And and through her tears, she said, I'm trying to. (laughs) But you know, it didn't occur to us at that time, and I don't want to say this to boast, but it didn't occur to us that, you know what, we're done raising kids. Let's just go out and raise Cain now. Huh? But way too many people do that. Abraham obeyed God. And you say, well, wasn't this way earlier in life than when he had this son Isaac? Yes, it was. And what this shows to me is this. You can have strong faith today and weak faith tomorrow. You can have strong faith in your 20s and weak faith in your 30s. You can have strong faith then in your 40s and weak faith in your 50s. And you can move from strong to weak to strong to weak. And the focus of Abraham's life as you study it in the Bible is that we see where he was strong in faith. And follow that pattern. I don't know how many graduating seniors we have in here this morning. But this is a crucial time in your life. I don't know how many of you are courting, but that is, after your salvation, the single most important choice of life. After your salvation and your call and whatever God is going to do in your life, the single most important choice is, who's going to do it with me? One of the old preachers I was listening to a number of years ago said, we old people make minor decisions. And he was in his 70s when he said it. Young people make phenomenally important decisions because everything for the rest of their lives depends on it. Will you obey when you cannot see the pathway? You know what? When you get married... You can't see how your marriage is going to turn out. You cannot see what children God may give you or not. You cannot see if perhaps you or your wife will be barren or whether you will have nine children. You can't see that the day you're married. You cannot see if if all of your children will be what the medical world calls normal, or if perhaps you'll have a child that the medical world says is not normal. You cannot see how this will alternate. You cannot see if perhaps one of you, you or your wife, may have a totally normal, rewarding life and live to the ripe old age of 95, and you'll both go home to to heaven uh, in the same day, or whether one of you will precede the other and leave the one behind in sorrow and difficult. You can't see if your life will be financially sound or financially frightening. You can't see. Will you obey God when you can't see? Or will you let fear of what you can't see control you? Years ago, before I Became familiar with the book, a man gave me a, poc- a, a copy of Rick Warren's book, *The Purpose Driven Life*. There we go. Some of you liked it better when you couldn't hear me. You were hoping I would leave it there. That's all right. The Lord was rejected too. (laughs) He gave me a copy of The Purpose Driven Life. He said, I want you to read this book. I said, I won't bother. Because I said, it cannot be a scriptural book. He said, what do you mean? You haven't even read it. I said, look at the title. I said, "The, the Christian life is spirit led. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? They follow me. Why do we follow? Because he's leading. Purpose driven. The devil is the driver. Jesus is the shepherd who leads. I said, I will not waste my time reading this book and you shouldn't either, sir. And he looked at me, he said, I never thought of that. And I wanted to say, well, maybe you should have read your Bible. you realize the Christian life is not a driven life? And fear will drive you. Therefore it's not of God. And the unknown pathway. We, we've all heard of fear of the unknown. Do you realize that's exactly what God called Abraham to conquer early in his life? God called him to go out into a place which he would after someday later receive as an inheritance. And the Bible doesn't say that Abraham balked and complained and griped and grumbled and, and said, I've got to have it laid out, step one, two, three, four, and 5, and then I'll go. No, he obeyed and he went out not knowing. You know what? Whether you obey God or not, you still don't know the future, so you might just as well obey him. Because it always gets better When we obey, and it always gets worse when we disobey. Strong faith that gives glory to God obeys God anyway. Because the path is always unknown. I can prove that to you. What are you going to be doing at 2.30 this afternoon? Now, we can assume what we'll be doing based on our schedule. But nobody knows. You might be in an emergency room with an attack of appendicitis. You don't know. Now, I hope you're not. I'm not prophesying doom here. I'm just saying, you know what? It can happen. You might be opening a letter. From home, and there's a $500 check in it. That could happen too. Now, don't everybody run to the mailbox. (laughs) I'm making no promises. The concept here is that strong faith that, that glorifies God, that brings glory to God, says, you know what? I don't know the pathway, but I do know how to obey God, and that's what I'm going to do. It may not look reasonable. Sarah, we're leaving. What do you mean we're leaving? God said to leave, we're going. Where are we going? I don't know, but let's go anyway. And we're taking Lot with us. The troublesome nephew, he's coming with us. You mean, like right now? Yep, God said go, we're going. He obeyed and he went out. Strong faith. It glorifies God. Three things this morning. Number one, it believes God for what is absolutely impossible. Number two, it focuses on God's ability, not my inability. Number three, it obeys God when the pathway is not just obscure, it's completely unknown.